Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. Today's guest is a writer for SB Nation's Golden State of Mind, a Los Angeles Sparks beat reporter, and has had bylines at the LA Times, The Athletic, and The Ringer. It's Brady Klopper. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I am doing pretty well. I just came off of doing a uh, TV show recording for my uh, sports journalism class that we're doing. So uh, going from one medium to another, but I'm all in on broadcast stuff right now. So this is good. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, just, you know, let's, it's funny. I started this podcast talking about writing and um, that's my, my main thing forever and always. I love writing, but I think it's helping me at least being able to talk better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of connectivity between all those different forms of media and the ability to kind of express yourself and and articulate and and say what you're trying to say in a in a meaningful and creative but still you know powerful and digestible way. I think those things are connected in a lot of ways. Yeah, you kind of have to be good at everything now. That's uh, that is very true. Yeah. Um, so you were you're back in LA now, but you were at the All Star Game for the WNBA in Vegas. What was that yes. like? How was that? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I I just got back from Vegas a few weeks prior to that as well from being at NBA Summer League. Right. Um, so there were kind of a lot of similarities. Uh, anyone who's been to NBA Summer League kind of knows it's just kind of a it's less about the actual basketball being played and more about the networking, the connection between all of the media members being there, the media and the front office people, the media and the players. Uh, it's much more kind of media focused than actually basketball focused. Mm -hmm. And with the all-star game, there was a pretty huge element of that as well. Obviously it's a bit more basketball focused and, and for the players it's extremely basketball focused, but it was, you know, the largest event of the year for the WNBA in terms of the amount of coverage and the amount of people that come together. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's an opportunity to meet a bunch of people who I've connected with in the past on social media, whose articles I've read, whose ideas I've bounced back and forth, phone calls I've had, but have never actually met in person. Yeah. And so that's just really fun. It's just, you know, people coming from all over the country for this one event, hanging out at the game, after the games, socializing, whatnot. And, and Vegas put on a great all-star game. It was, it was the first time in a while they went back to a format of having a separate day for the um, contests. So they had the skills contest and the three-point contest on Friday mm -hmm. and the game on Saturday. In the past, they've done those contests at halftime of the game, uh, which is pretty cheap. Um, so, yeah, they put on a great event. Vegas really went all out. All the players were stoked, really excited about just the level that they went to with this All-Star game that they haven't gone to in the past. And, and it really felt like a big event, which which is fun. That's awesome. Who Who was the uh, – I'm just curious about this now. Who was the media member that you were most excited to meet? Just, I'm just I want to know. <laughs> huh. Oh, man. Um, I think – Think, I think it would have to be Meredith Minkow of Bleacher oh, okay. Report. Yep, cool. Um, she's just a tremendous, tremendous human, a tremendous 
um, content producer, tremendous photographer. Uh, I believe she was there just kind of on her own dime because she wanted to take pictures Mm -hmm. and wanted to be as fully ingrained as she could. Um, So that's a person who I've had a lot of conversations with in the past, but had never met a person whose work and attitude I really draw a lot of inspiration from. And um, just a person who, you know, sometimes you meet people and they're they're everything you expect they're going to be. She's just an awesome human, has uh, an amazing, amazing energy. And I I was very excited to meet her. That's awesome. I hear a lot of stories after Summer League about all these media members who go and they get together and tell stories and have a good time. So I imagine that uh, it's really quite something. Maybe one day uh, I'll get there. It looks, uh, it was thought about it this year um, because a buddy of mine went down to cover UFC and I thought about going down, but it kind of conflicted with my school schedule. So not this year, but it sounds like a, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. Yeah. If, if, if it ever works, I, I can't recommend it strongly enough to you or to anyone who is at all interested in sports media. Um, especially, uh, Ethan Sherwood Strauss treated this out right after, um, summer league. He said, if, if any young person in the industry can get a credential for the event, there is nothing better that you can do for yourself in this industry than go. Wow. Uh, so if you can get in a, if you can get a credential, I mean, even if you can't, it's, it's worth going, but if you, mm-hmm. especially if you can get a credential, any person trying to make their way in sports media, it's just an opportunity. In addition to being fun, it's an opportunity to meet so many people who you can learn from, who can help you with your career, who can give you advice, give you opportunities um, and a chance to kind of peek behind the curtain and, and see how a lot of stuff goes down. Yeah, we sent one of our guys from Raptors Republic. He he went down. Well, we didn't send him. He went down on his own, Adam. But uh, he seemed like he had a great time, so I, it was really cool. Um, okay, so the reason I brought you on the podcast is because, well, A, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time. I have a very long list of people that I want to bring on this podcast because there's so many good writers, uh, <laughs> especially when you know the blogging sphere as well as people outside of that that are in the uh, bigger outlets. But uh, there's so many people. So you've been on my list for a while. And it just so happened that as I'm looking at your name on my long list here, uh, you have a piece come out at The Ringer, which is pretty cool. And it's called uh, Of All His Life, How the Last of Pat Summit's Players Are Keeping Her Legacy Alive. And I thought this was a really unique piece, especially to have come out around uh, WNBA All-Star weekend so i thought you know why not better time to uh to bring you on for the first time on the podcast and and talk about this really unique piece you've got going on here so it's it's kind of cool to see uh that you've kind of carved yourself a niche here an ever expanding one at that but a niche in writing about the WNBA. and i guess the first thing i just want to ask you in general is how has that experience shaped things for you since you really dove into writing about the WNBA? yeah that's a great question um it's it's changed things kind of enormously for me in obviously ways for the better. Um, but just, you know, the biggest thing for me has been the WNBA covering it affords you so many more opportunities mm-hmm. than in the NBA. Yeah. Um, at least at the level that I'm at. Um, you know, I, I took my first WNBA writing job at the start of last season. Um, I was a 
I liked the league a lot. I, I tweeted about it a lot, and and someone offered me a position as a beat reporter for the Sparks. And at the time, well, still, I, I don't really do any work that doesn't pay at least semi decently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it was very minimal pay because the the site had just started up. And my my first instinct was to say no. And then they were like, well, you know, we're looking for someone to to actually be a, you know, a reporter at all the games and, and some practices. And I was like, wait, like you can just give me that. Like you can, <laughs> you can get me that accessibility. You can get me a, a season credential. Cause you know, I've been covering the NBA where it can be so hard to get credentialed for events unless you work for, you know, a legitimate publication. And even then, you know, you often are only able to get, credentials for specific stuff. So I, I took the job because I knew the experience was going to be great of being able to have that accessibility and get to actually be a reporter on the ground. Um, and since then, it's just been a domino effect of that. And the accessibility is just so great because there are, you know, I hate to paint this as a positive because the accessibility is great because the coverage is so limited. Mm-hmm. There yeah. aren't enough people covering the league. And as a result, anyone who is gets pretty much full accessibility whenever they want it. Uh, so for me to get to do, you know, a piece like this one in the ringer, that's something that, you know, to this point, at least I wouldn't have that opportunity in the NBA because, you know, gosh, getting one-on-ones with players and mm. and getting in the door and, and getting to spend a lot of time with these players and getting to know these players, that those are things that, you know, when you're high up at, you know, The Athletic or, or ESPN or something, you get that accessibility but in the NBA, but you don't get it as much elsewhere. Uh, so really just covering the WNBA has given me a chance to actually get to be a reporter and a writer and a journalist at kind of that serious, complete, holistic level that, you know, most people in sports media want to be able to be at. Um, Um, And that has shaped me tremendously as a writer because it's just giving me on the ground training as well as numerous opportunities that I certainly didn't have before when I was just covering the NBA. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I, in a way I can kind of relate to, so you're still covering women's basketball at the highest level. And uh, I started this past season covering the 905, like going to games in, in Mississauga where I moved to, to come back to school. And the access there is incredible. Um, obviously, the you're relatively, um, you're covering a game at a, at a higher level than um, like a G League sort of level for the NBA. But that similar sense of like you have access to all these players and it's, it's kind of crazy and coaches and, and they're all, you know, such professionals and, and you're still getting this experience at a really high level. Uh, but it's just, you know, something that hasn't necessarily taken off for the general masses yet in terms of, uh, media. It, it's one of the best things. Cause like there's still so many stories there and there's stories that, a lot of people don't chase down because they're so busy going after, you know, the biggest, shiniest, brightest thing, which is great. And there are so many people doing it and pulling out great stories all the time. 
But there are all these other stories that are there, like under the surface, if you're looking for them at these places with these other players. And, uh, and, it's, and it's really cool. And this one in particular, I mean, the one that you've written here is, you know, about a legend. And even legends in the, in the game today, like Candace Parker and, and players like that. So I, I think that, that access sometimes is maybe looked over by some people, even, even people trying to get into the media because they're looking at stuff that, you know, they're only shown on TV. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think people often forget, like you said, every person has a story. You know, the, the great stories, the, the, you know, 99% of the great stories in sports media are about the person, not about the sport, not even about the, the player's ability. They're, they're just about the person. And we like them, the story, because we love the sport and, and we love the athletes that play it. Uh, but ultimately, those stories are coming because the person has an amazing story and it it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, an NBA MVP or a G League bench player, you you still have a story. And in the WNBA it it's fun and it's fascinating because with the with the limited coverage, so many of those stories just aren't told. And so many people who cover bigger leagues, more popular leagues, I feel like go into their stories already knowing what they need to write based Mm -hmm. on, like you said, what they see on TV and you kind of have, and there's a place for that, obviously like sports analysis, you know, and breaking down plays and whatnot. That's, that's very important. And that's, you know, kind of a different, a different tangent there. But so many times when people are, are writing about people, I feel like they have the story set in stone before they actually see what the person's story is. Right. Uh, and when you have to actually be around those people and see what their story is, um, that that makes for a much more powerful piece, I believe, when you're kind of helping the person tell their story rather than trying to tell a story that you came up with and using the, the person as a pawn. Yeah, definitely. And And we, you know, you opened in this piece here with Candace Parker and uh, that sort of kind of personal thing that you can only get from being around players and here with the, the locker room and you focus on her demeanor at the beginning, her leadership style via this steadfastness and this sort of unflappable control and that all these other players in the locker room are kind of feeding off of this and adopting it. And then we kind of turn to how this is something that she gained prior to her WME career and that's where you introduce the legendary Pat Summit, introduced, I think, first and foremost as a fighter, as a warrior, as someone who's cool and confident and nurturing. So I guess the first thing is, is it fair to say that that spirit in general lives on in its players? I mean, you can feel that in the piece, but when you're around them, do you really feel that just in their you know, day-to-day activities? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And and honestly, that was ultimately that was the biggest driving force behind me wanting to write this article. Is I had been an enormous Pat Summit fan as a kid. Um, I have no connections whatsoever to, to Tennessee, and I didn't even didn't even consider myself a fan of the team. But just as a little kid, watching ESPN, watching any basketball game that I could. And Tennessee was on a bit, and I just became enamored with Pat Summit, with the way she coached, the way she interacted with people, her attitude, her vibe. 
uh, everything about her. And, and it was just one of those early people in my life that impacted the way I viewed the sport. Uh, and then when I started covering the WNBA and I started being around the Sparks all the time and being around Candace Parker, especially after losses, I started to realize how remarkable her attitude was and her demeanor at all times. And eventually I kind of, it kind of clicked for me that I was like, well, this feels special to me in part because this is really what led me to be so enamored with Pat Summit, you know, 20 years ago when I was a little kid watching basketball. Um, and this feels like now I'm getting to witness Pat Summit in person the way I never had a chance to actually do. Huh. Um, so that was kind of my, what led me to writing the article was that I, I just felt all those things that I had believed about Pat Summit emanating from Candace Parker every time that I was around her. And especially, um, as I mentioned in the article, especially in the difficult times, the, the, the losses, the bad performances, things like that, I found myself just very intrigued by the way she composed herself. And it just reminded me of, you know, being a seven or eight year old watching Pat Summit, how she handled herself during games, how she handled difficult moments in games and her demeanor at all times. And, and so, yeah, I, I feel pretty strongly that, that that's on display with her players. It's so interesting beyond the on the court stuff even, and, and even the, your beginning of your story is talking about, you know, a player and then the locker room and uh, it, the sport is there, but largely the piece is uh, more about affecting somebody's life beyond basketball and in this case um, beyond the sport to the point where it's about personality and resolve and values like you mentioned in the piece and uh, that's a tremendous impact to be able to do that that's not a skill that everybody has so were you always most interested in this facet of Summit's career for story or was this something that developed as you were thinking about the piece idea a little bit of both honestly um I I had always been fascinated with that element to an extent, uh, but I definitely underestimated just how strong it was. Um, so, you know, kind of going into it, I had been fascinated with her with her demeanor, the way she composed herself, and so I was I was looking forward to seeing how her players talked about that element of her, you know, beyond the X's and O's, but just onto the how do you compose yourself as a basketball player? How mm -hmm. do you handle adversity? How do you lift your teammates up and inspire them to be at their best and then do the same for yourself? All of that, those kind of intangibles that are still basketball related, yeah, those were fascinating to me going in. What I was not prepared for was the nurturing off the court the growing these players as women and as people, um, I underestimated how big of a story that would be. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. You know, once I talked to these players and I realized, okay, this needs to go 
way beyond the basketball court mm-hmm. um, because that was my original idea for the article didn't go beyond the basketball court the, the way that the final piece ended up doing. So that that caught me off guard to just see how much that, oh, these four players, they're not just passing on Pat Summit's legacy on the basketball court. They're passing on her legacy in life. They are living their lives differently because of Pat Summit. And that was really cool and a happy surprise. Yeah, and I think the piece captures that really well. The four players you mentioned that were coached by Summit are um, obviously Parker, we talked about Candace Parker, and then there's Isabel Harrison, Gloria Johnson, and Shakina Strickland. And we kind of mentioned as well that WNBA All-Star Weekend just happened, and uh, this time the All-Star Game was the first one without a Summit player for the first time in league history, which is crazy. That's crazy to think about. Like, yeah. I, I'm just I'm – just, like – you know, not only does she have this personal impact on people, but she's also inherently tied to the league in a way. Like, she is connected to a major portion of the WNBA's history, and her DNA is just intrinsically attached to the league itself. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of the one of the fascinating things I find about a league like the WNBA, where it's relatively small, you know, there are only 12 teams. It's only been around for 23 years. Um, So we get to witness those pioneers of the sport the way that, you know, people our age at least haven't been able to witness that in the NBA or Mm -hmm. the NFL or whatever. Um, We get to see these people who have been – at the foundation of growing the sport and it gaining popularity and it being played at a higher level and it it being accepted. And even though Pat Summit never coached in the WNBA, um, her, her fingerprints are all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, 37 players in total she had that, that played in the WNBA, um, uh, many more who were, you know, drafted or in training camps and whatnot. And then, you know, some of the greatest uh, players in WNBA history, not just Candace Parker, but Tamika Catchings, who, in my opinion, is the greatest WNBA player ever. Uh, Shamika Holsklaw. So many legends have, have come through her doors and then gone on to the WNBA. And and just she built up women's basketball and played such a huge role in it being as big as it was right around the time that the WNBA actually came into existence. And so as a result, so much of her is, is all over the game and, and I think will continue to be. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I guess in a way, the values, these values that you've mentioned and that she's set up, they're like a framework for the league, especially because of the league's young, like you've said. Um, the league is in a way built on this and built on the players that came through her doors, like you said. And I think that's, I mean, just what a tremendous impact to have that kind of connection to a league that you didn't even coach in, you know? Yeah, it's it's pretty special. Yeah, so so moving from that, I think it's funny, or not, not necessarily funny, but just like it's fascinating in a way that Summit was big on defense. And so you write about how she believed games were won and lost there, uh, not on the offensive end, which you hear a lot of coaches will talk about that. And 
there was always a focus on controllables, like rebounding and defense and stuff, and not so much on shot making. But with controllables comes intangibles, like heart and hustle and effort and discipline. And these are values that go beyond the court, like we're talking about, and bleed, can bleed into daily life. In terms of her coaching philosophy, where she talks about defense, and again, this is sort of branching off her being attached to the WNBA as a whole, do you think this coaching philosophy is also what made her more than a coach, like escalating her into the legendary figure that we know now? Obviously, all the wins and the tangible stuff is important, but these things that come with them, that all these players kept talking about, these keywords like discipline, is that the kind of stuff that elevated her into this this status of, you know, sort of like a basketball deity? I think so, yeah, because that just plays at a larger level than basketball, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, a, a perfectly drawn up offensive set that you kind of leave that behind when you take off your shoes and you take your shower and you leave the gym. Yeah. But discipline, accountability, work ethic, putting yourself fully into something and, and not being willing to back down those are things that if you plant those seeds on the basketball court, they grow into huge trees off of the basketball court, you know? Um, and all four of the players made that pretty clear to me uh, in talking with them that those lessons that they learned from her kind of resonated bigger off the court Um that they they all, you know, I mentioned a few of the examples here, but they all mentioned to me that Summit's off-court leadership and nurturing and teaching is what they remember the most about her, even more so than the things that they all did together on the court. Right. And so I think, I think you know, when you develop – as, as a coach or as a teacher, as a leader of people, when you develop certain habits that are applicable in really every facet of life, mm-hmm. that is how you kind of transcend just being a good coach or teacher of the thing you're coaching or teaching. And when you become, like you said, really a deity in her case, um, because people don't just think of you in those two hours a day when they're practicing or playing a game. They think of you in, in all walks of their life. And, you know, all of these players mentioned to me that she was a mom to them. And, you know, you think of what the role of a parent is in a person's life. You know, that's not, that's not something you can just throw around calling someone a mom to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to have the utmost, not just respect, but adoration for the way a person composes themselves and lives to have that person have that sort of impact on your life. And that was really a central theme in, in talking with all these players uh, was that they held her in this incredibly high regard for myriad different reasons. And, and I think that can largely be traced back to those those elements that, that she preached on the basketball court that are applicable everywhere. One of the most touching moments, like speaking of that, is 
Gloria Johnson's story near the end of the piece, I really think that illustrates the relationship she had with Summit, but like you're saying, like all, that all these players kind of saw her in this nurturing way, like as a as a parental figure, as a familial figure. Johnson's story is about you know taking her one of her newly born both both of her newly born twins and and to see Summit in the medical facility when she's there for uh, for Alzheimer's later in her in her life, and um, Summit gets to hold one of the twins and and plays with her and rocks her to sleep and stuff and. Uh, this is a bit of a longer quote as, as Johnson's telling you this story. And I could tell that you really wanted this full story in the piece. Like, how important was it to you that you got this whole thing in there? Yeah, that one was extremely important. And, and I always fear when you have things like that that you think are great that not everyone else will think it's as great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of those one, kind of one of those ones where I put in the full quote and I'm like, ooh, this is such a long quote. <laughs> I'm, they're probably going to want to shorten this. And I was just kind of like crossing my fingers that when the edits came back, that that was going to remain untouched because it it felt absolutely vital to me. Um, And thank goodness um, the, the wonderful editors of the piece, shout out to Megan Schuster and Justin Verrier. They, they agreed that it was uh, a very vital quote, and and they did not have have any intentions of cutting that short. Thankfully, um, because that was just one of those ones where, you know, I think when you're doing a a, a piece of kind of this magnitude, this was this was the biggest feature I've done uh, by far, just in terms of not just talking to people on the Sparks, but but talking with other players for a feature, which I, which I've never really done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was that moment that people talk about where I'm, you know, interviewing them and, and we're talking, you know, yeah, this is great. These people are great. This is going well. And then something happens there. You're like, there it is. There's my story. Um, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful feeling. Yeah. Uh, and you know, as soon as she started telling me this story and she was so impassioned, you know, we were sitting on the, on the sideline at the Staples center, um, while her teammates were warming up before a game and, and she gets out of her, her courtside seat and, and crouches on the court in front of me to, um, kind of reenact, um, her strength and conditioning coach, Heather Mason, who was worried that, that Pat Summit would drop her child because she was in such a late, late state of her, of her illness. And so <laughs> Gloria Johnson is, is down on the court kind of on all fours reenacting this moment of, of a worried person trying to kind of dance around ready to catch a baby. If it, if it drops to the floor uh, and she was so radiant and impassioned as she's, as she's telling this and you could just feel the kind of magic of the moment. And in that moment, I'm just, sitting there watching it and in the back of my head I'm just going there it is that's what I was hoping that at some point during this process I would get something like this and and there it is so yeah it was it was very important for me to keep it in because it represented what all four players talked about um as far as Summit's nurturing and as far as the maternal impact that she had on their lives uh, and I felt like I needed to really do that element of her justice and that story just encapsulated it all perfectly. It's definitely the aha moment 
of, of this piece in a way. And I, I, I think that's really interesting because, uh, you know, media members, reporters, writers, people out there looking for these stories, they come, those moments come, but they come in different ways. All, out of all the people I've talked to, there's, there's always, they always come in the strangest ways and the weirdest moments at the times you don't expect. Maybe it's, you know, in person while something's happening. Maybe it's not until you're transcribing. Maybe it, it's, you know, even before you start or something happens. But those moments are rare and special. So it's, it's always cool to hear about when that actually happened that really, you know, sort of gave uh, the central focus of the piece uh, that kind of light that, that you breathe into it to really make it uh, become sort of an organic thing. Um, yeah, those are kind of the moments we, we live for as writers, you know, whether it's yeah. someone else saying it or, or a sentence you're typing that you come to. It's it's that kind of holy moment where you realize you you found out what you're writing about and now you get to do that. That's, to me at least, is, you know, that's kind of the, the dragon I'm perpetually chasing with with writing. Yeah, and speaking of writing, I, I want to uh, I want to kind of shift a little bit too to talk more about the the process of it because that's uh, what I like to do with the kind of second half of this podcast. I think one of the most interesting things with with you here, well, there's, so there's two main ones. So the first one is is this. I it's pretty clear, and and you've told me this, and you've mentioned this here, but it's pretty clear even just from the writing uh, in the piece that you're a a big fan of Pat Summit. So how did this piece come to form in your mind before everything else? Like what was the, what was the nugget or the little nagging thing in the back of your head saying, I, I need to do this piece. I need to write about it. I want to write about it. Um, or was it, you know, was this something you've always wanted to do or did it only once you started kind of covering the sparks and it, and it became more possible to, to write a feature like this? Was, was that the time that it, really manifested itself yeah you know it wasn't until i i started covering the sparks and was around parker that i that it manifested itself to the point of of really realizing it kind of tangibly quantifiably what i wanted to do Mm -hmm. um but i realized as i first started to kind of have the idea for it that where it was coming from for me was an opportunity to connect with one of the most important basketball figures in my life. Um, And I think for me, writing is a form of expression where you get to get in touch with things that you might not otherwise be able to get in touch with in life. You, You get to express your emotions or experience new things simply by, you know, exploring them through your words and, and studying them either, you know, physically studying them or just studying them through kind of mental exploration. Mm -hmm. And so with this, it was, you know, when I was a little kid, my, my basketball heroes were Pat Summit, coach K and Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And and those were just those those were basketball deities to me, you know. My goal when I was like 7 years old, my goal was to go to Duke, play 2 years on the men's basketball team for coach K, transfer to Tennessee, play 2 years on the women's basketball <laughs> team for Pat Summit, and then be the next Michael Jordan. 
that was like, <laughs> that was my goal. That was my life goal. I was, I was, I was hell bent on it. Um, and so, you know, that obviously faded at some point. And as you get older, you get more and more, um, figures that are important to you and whatnot. But, you know, past summit remained just an integral part of why I loved basketball. And so after she died three years ago, I hadn't, you know, given her too much thought in recent years. And once she died, there was a little bit of a feeling of emptiness for me because I realized like, oh, you know, as a kid, I always just assumed I'm going to get to like meet Pat Summit. I'm going to get to like play basketball around Pat Summit. You know, I assumed I was going to be a great basketball player and I was going to get these opportunities to surround myself with my basketball heroes and do basketball things around them, you know? And that obviously never happened. You know, Pat Summit died before I ever met her. Um, I'll never get that chance to meet her. Uh, and so once... Once I started spending time around Candace Barker and it started to re- she started to remind me so much of Pat Summit, I kind of got the idea for this piece in in part because I wanted that experience of spending time with Pat Summit that I'll never actually get to have, mm-hmm. but getting to almost vicariously have it through exploring who she was as a person through talking to some of the people who knew her best and spent critical times with her. Uh, to me, that was, you know, the closest I can get to actually meeting someone who at a key stage in my life was one of my biggest heroes. Uh, so that, that was ultimately where it came from. And, and it really didn't materialize until a few months ago. Uh, it probably wasn't until, you know, training camp this year that I actually got the idea of, wait, here's the story I should write. This is what it should look like. Mm-hmm. Let me start pitching it. Let me start working on it. Um, but I think for the last year or so, I've had it in my head as an idea that I wanted to get to know Pat Summit better, if for no other reason than to kind of close that door in my own life. I think the exploration of topics and subjects and people through writing is really fascinating, especially in when it comes to sports writing, because I think a lot of the time that sort of content is either not desired or overlooked um, in, in, in place of things that are more straightforward, more focused, more specific. And I think that kind of stuff is really important. Um, I always tell myself that... You, you know, so I'll write things and I'll figure them out. And then if I don't, the rest of the time, the writing fi- figures me out instead. <laughs> I like that. And uh, that's so that's kind of how I, I approach those things. But I, I feel like these these sorts of pieces, you can kind of do that a little bit in features and you, you get these opportunities to ruminate. Um, and especially when you're talking to these people. For example, like like here where they knew someone, so you kind of are having those explorations with them as well. Uh, so was that, I guess, is that something that you really like, was it uh, a strong feeling for you as you were doing this, both in like talking to people and like once you got to the writing portion of this is sort of an exploration here that I, I don't usually get the opportunity to do? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and... I think 
there was a level too where it wasn't only an opportunity but a responsibility. Yeah. Um, talking with all four of them, I mean, I I can't put to words how intensely each of them made it clear that Pat Summit was a special human being. Um, and that sounds cliche uh, because I don't know if there is a, a way to actually, you know, verbalize just how clear they were. Um, but, you know, some people, some people are special, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you know it either the moment you're around them or the moment someone starts to talk about them. Um, so this to me, you know, right off the bat, as soon as I talked with, with Shakina, who was the first of the four players that I talked to, um, right off the bat, I knew that I had to take this exploration very seriously because this wasn't like writing about any, any coach or any mentor or any figure in people's lives where I can just lay out the pieces and go, Hey, this was a great person. She had an impact. That's awesome. Um, I knew that this person meant more to the people I was talking to and to the larger public. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I felt a little bit of a responsibility to really do justice to the person that she was. Um, and as a result, it, it just felt like a fabulous opportunity for me to dive as deeply as I could and explore as strongly as I could who this person was and in turn kind of add to the positive feelings that I already had about her from, from my life. It's it's interesting too because I I think a lot of these these things we were talking about factor into the uh, the fact that you are also a creative writer. Um, I I find this stuff so every time I bring somebody on here who's a creative writer, which is now happening more often than I think than I would have thought, <laughs> and it's really exciting to me. Uh, I had Joe Wolf on on here a couple of weeks ago, and he also has a background in in English lit, lit and he is a creative writer as well. I get excited because I tend to find that when I talk to other creative writers who are also sports writers, they tend to be more uh, visceral with their imagery. There's more of, a, I guess, like a, a like a shimmer, an artistry to their work. Mm-hmm. It, it's not it's not that other work is by people who don't have this sort of background is bad or people that aren't, you know, not that people who aren't creative writers or have creative writer background can't paint those pictures but uh, I think I feel like the typical sports story is a little more cold a little more straightforward I find that with the creative writing background you're no matter what even if you don't think about it you're going to be bringing some of that stuff over into your sports writing and I feel like that really uh, was the case here especially when you're allowed to do a feature and about someone that you really care about and, and about uh, someone that these players have a big passion about and was really, really important in their lives. Uh, so were there any specifics, like while you were writing, were there any conscious, uh, I guess, uh, like details that you noticed from your creative writing that kind of came over and merged into your sports writing? Yeah. I mean, first off, I, I really appreciate, I really appreciate that compliment because that is really important to me. Um, 
I, I've been doing creative writing long before I started delving into the world of sports writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's critical to me. And, and so that's a, a very, very appreciated compliment. Um, for me, it was, I don't know if there are any exact moments just so much as the whole piece to me felt like an opportunity to get to flex a few creative muscles that aren't always available for me. Um, I don't, I don't always bring too much of a creative element into my sports writing sometimes simply because I don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it takes a lot of time and energy to, to put together a creative piece, you know, and, um, a lot of the work I do, I, I kind of need to get out quickly and, and you have to scrap some of that. And, and sometimes when you're doing something like, you know, I do a lot of, a lot of my work at SB nation is news pieces, um, or some analytical stuff. And I, I've had to learn to kind of cut back on some of my creativity, or at least in some of the ways it manifests, because sometimes, you know, if you use creative or verbose language, you can end up taking away from what the core of what you're actually trying to say is. And I think that having a piece like this one I did on Pat Summit, where it is a larger feature and it is a story I'm telling rather than uh, something that's a little bit more just straightforward. Mm -hmm. It lends itself to bringing in a creative element. Um, So for me, it wasn't really any, any specific moment rather than just once I got my quotes and I started to write this story, I, my skin started to glow a little bit because I got excited because I knew <laughs> I get to be a creative writer here. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done the reporting element by getting the quotes and now I get to be a creative writer and I get to tell a story and I get to craft sentences and I get to play with language to have this be the most emphatic version of what I'm trying to say. Um, and that's very, that's very important for me. That's very exciting for me. Um, so it was certainly a very, a very conscious effort. And, um, you know, for me, when I, when I studied creative writing in college, uh, my professor gave me a piece of advice that is very simple and kind of feels a little obvious, but it's always stuck with me. Uh, I think it's a quote by Barry Lopez, but I'm not actually positive, uh, but it's something to the effect of, you know, a bad story tells us something about the writer. A good story tells us something about ourselves. Hmm. And that I try to carry with me kind of with everything that I do writing wise. And in a story like this, I felt like it was an opportunity because a lot of sports stories, I feel like really just focus on the subject. They really just focus on telling you X, Y, and Z. Mm hmm. And then you get to go on your way. And I wanted this to not just tell people about Pat Summit, not just tell people something about the four players in the WNBA who played for her. I wanted it to tell the reader something about themselves. I wanted the reader to read it and have some of the memories remind them of special, important people in their lives. I wanted them to 
access a part of them that maybe they weren't accessing accessing before they read the piece. Um, so I was trying to take that approach in the way I told the story, the language I used, the creativity I brought to it. Um, and more than anything, it was just so much fun because, uh, you know, that's where my heart is at creative writing and, and in the sports writing industry, especially when you're getting started and, and you don't always have freedom with what you're doing or the time you have to do it. Um, it was just such a treat for me to get to tackle something and bring a creative element to it. Yeah. Um, it, it really is a special thing to be able to do that. I mean, I've always done my, my own sort of thing where I decided um, per, as a personal choice when I started doing sports writing. And it's part of the reason I got into it because it is storytelling and, it, and it, it's different. You do it in different ways sometimes um, that, as compared to creative writing, of course. But even when I just started writing, you know, basic posts for Raptors Republic about, you know, I don't know, Siakam's uh, field goal percentage or something, something, whatever, I would start it off talking, but like I would take a quote from Waiting for Gatto or, you know, some play that whatever, using my English background because these are the things that I love and, and they tell stories and there's connections here because all of these things, this stuff within ourselves, if you can, you know, get to that point, then you're going to elicit some kind of reaction from your reader. And I think that's what all art in some manner strives to do is just elicit some kind of reaction. It doesn't have to be one thing or another. But it has to be something because art that doesn't, you know, create, uh, pull something out of someone else is just, I mean, what's it, what's it doing? You know, what, why is it's it? It's not art. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I, I, and I, and I find that, you know, people don't often talk about sports writing as an art, but it is right. It is a type of art. It is, it is storytelling. It is, it is in that, in that section of, uh, of the world of, of thinking. And, uh, I, I just, I always find that that conversation to be an interesting one. Really, really quick here, I wanted to also talk to you about blogging, moving from, so from blogging to feature writing for a site like The Ringer, I, which, is, which is a fantastic site to do it with as well, just because, you know, of how they, of how they run themselves. But I, I find it so interesting because it, you know, when you talk about bloggers and then you talk about the industry, capital T, capital I, there's this unconventional path that's slowly becoming more conventional. And, you know, I'm one of these people, I'm at the school, I'm at school right now and I've seen, uh, and I blog and I've seen other bloggers and no other bloggers uh, who are good, who are professional. And, and now they're all, a lot of them are finding their way to get real shots in the industry. And I just was curious that for you, do you find this transition sort of jarring? Cause obviously you still do the blogging and, and you're uh, writing for different places, but do you find that that sort of straddling the line to be um, a bit weird? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really that's a really fascinating question. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's the transition from creative writing to blogging is more difficult for me than the transition from blogging to creative writing. Um, okay, just yeah. because I'd been doing creative writing for, for so long, uh, before I ever started doing any sports blogging. Um, but to be honest, the transitions both ways have been pretty easy for me, largely just because, um, after
after I after I graduated and, and you know started working, I primarily did copywriting for a while. Um, so that kind of taught me some of the things I needed to succeed in blogging, just in terms of you know I, I wasn't doing like creative you know ad agency copywriting, but just like generic mm-hmm. kind of to the point. Um, stuff and and that helped me because then I had that under my belt and I had the creative writing under my belt and it's kind of felt like every sports job is some combination of those two you know a little bit of one and a little bit of the other or a lot of one and a little bit of the other um, so that has helped me um, it is a little jarring time to time and and sometimes it's just hard for me to, to figure out what I need to do when I'm blogging because um, you know with my work at Golden State of Mind some of it some of it I take a pretty creative approach to and, and it's, it's blogging, but I'm, but it's, it's fun writing. And some of it is just, okay, you need to let people know that the Warriors waived their two way contractors. <laughs> There's nothing creative about this, mm-hmm. but you need to package it in a way that's easily digestible straight to the point hits your, you know, SEO targets and things like that. Right. Um, so, it's definitely a little jarring to go back and forth. It, it's something I've gotten used to. Um, it's not hard for me at this point. Um, I think the hardest thing for me is after writing something, writing a feature like this one in the ringer to then take a step. I he- hesitate to say this, but to kind of yeah, take yeah, a step yeah. backwards. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I do like sports blogging. And I would be happier if I were just writing, you know, features for The Ringer or other publications like that, um, which at the moment isn't feasible. Um, So, yeah, it's always a little jarring, but I think it's also a fun challenge to kind of take every piece as it comes and, and go, okay, this is what I have to do. This is my target audience. This is what they're looking for and expecting. How do I get there? Um, and each each piece is a little bit of a different puzzle, and and I enjoy that. It keeps keeps me on my toes a little bit. Keeps I think some of my skills sharp, even if they're skills that are sometimes less fun mm-hmm. than other writing skills, but are still kind of important skills to have sharpened. Yeah, it's a unique position, and I think we're going to see it become less unique as we, as we go forward. Like even now, like I like I mentioned, like I, I see a lot of people that I know from the more reputable blogs that are finding a way to push themselves into the industry, and it's still really hard. It's not easy to just you know even if you're going to games and have credentials and stuff that doesn't that doesn't guarantee you a full time yeah. job by any means. Um, or a specific spot at any one place. It's it's tough. There's a, there's a reason there's a lot of freelancers, but uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely like a, a sphere, an area that's going to continue to continue to grow. So uh, that is uh, definitely fascinating for sure. I think that's about all we have time for. So I wanted to thank you for coming on again, Brady. I really appreciate it. Is there anything? My pleasure. Is there anything you want to plug before we go here? Uh, I don't think so, honestly. Um, hopefully anyone listening to this will have either read that article of mine on The Ringer or will go read it after listening to this. But um, that's that's kind of the only thing I have, have to plug at the moment. So uh, 
hopefully hopefully people read that and like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They should. If you haven't read Brady's piece, again, it is up on The Ringer, and it is called Vala's Life, How the Last of Pat Summit's Players Are Keeping Her Legacy Alive, so you can go read it. It is excellent, and you should continue to read everything Brady writes. Uh, if you're looking for this podcast, it is called the Writer's Write Podcast, and you can find it on Anchor.fm or the Anchor app if you have it. It is also now available on Apple Podcasts. You can find it there. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Writer's Write Pod, and links to the episodes will be posted there as well as links to my guest articles. Until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, and you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic as always. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. Shoot, shoot.